Hey everybody, it's Brent Wallace from the Wally Mathod Show, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going well, going well, and it's warmed up a bit in Calgary, so we'll take it, at least for the few days until it goes back into the freezer. Yeah, so you haven't been shoveling any snow this week? Uh, Last week, we shoveled a lot of snow, but this weekend, not so much, no. That's true, because we were talking about that last week, because you were shoveling, what, six inches of wet snow? Yeah, it was at least fluffy powder this time. Oh, that's not too bad. Have you gotten, like, a like a leaf blower? Have you decided to, like, blow the snow away yet? I think we might pick up a snowblower at end of season. Right on, right on. So, Tim, I'm super excited to get together to do today's episode, not only because we've got three games to talk about, a great all-star of a cover athlete, but before we do anything... We're going to introduce our guest co-host for today's episode. Our guest today is the co-host of the Puck and Roll podcast, as well as a writer for A Winning Habit and Puck Pros. Please welcome to the show, Scott Cowan. Scott, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Doing great, fellas. Thank you for having me on. So, Scott, we're really excited to have you on the program, not only because... This is the first time we've got a chance to work with you, given you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, but we do have to issue an apology right out of the gate because... Back in our season preview show, we unfortunately double booked yourself and Chris Katugas, who ended up becoming our Montreal Canadiens representative for the show. And I didn't realize that at the time. And even talking with you over the past several months, I felt, you know what, I got to make this up to Scott. So when I looked at the Sen schedule, I said, okay, Sens are playing the Habs. We're going to get them on and it's going to be great. So like I said, we're super excited to have you on. Now, what we're also excited of is talk about our cover athlete today because today's episode is season five, episode 20 in chronological order, episode 115, the Danny Heatley edition of the third line plug Sensecast. So just a little background about Danny Heatley. He was drafted second overall to the Atlanta Thrashers in 2000. He spent parts of three seasons with the Thrashers winning the Calder trophy as rookie of the year in the 2001-02 season. He would be traded to the Ottawa Senators in August of 2005 for Marion Hossa, where he would spend four seasons on the center recording. 180 goals, 182 assists for 362 points and 317 games before being traded to the San Jose Sharks for Milan McCulloch in 2009. So let's talk about Danny Heatley. And Scott, I want to get your take on him first, given that you are a Montreal Canadiens fan and Danny Heatley was a member of the Senators for all those years, absolutely dominating the old Northeast division. As a Habs fan, what kind of memories or what was your take on Danny Heatley? I always had a lot of respect for personally for Danny Healy as a player. And honestly, the most I was familiar with him was when he was with the Freshers and him and Ilya Kovalchuk made them as competitive as they've probably ever been during their history. Uh, 
So I think having him around in Montreal, he was definitely a threat to the community. He's definitely a player that oftentimes I had to look out for, but also a player I had a chance to appreciate and really appreciate his game. The chemistry you have Daniel Alfredson during the, those 2005-2006 season, especially was 2006-2007 season, the cup run. So I find that, yeah, I think it was, they were just really, really interesting players to watch, more so than the fact that they were ones I necessarily rooted against. 100%. And Heater was one of those guys that, you know, it, it's really interesting when he came to Ottawa in 2005. And I think looking back, it's it's really interesting because Heatley came into Ottawa. He came into a situation where really he already had two strikes against him. Yeah. He comes to Ottawa where the casual fans only knew of him, unfortunately, due to the Dan Snyder car accident. The hardcore fans knew of him his time in Atlanta, but also Senators, especially hardcore Sens fans really had a strike against him because he was traded for a fan favorite in Marion Hosa, who I think he put up 89 points the season before gets traded to Atlanta. Healer Healy coming the other way. So it was really good. And John Muckler, I think deserves a lot of credit for this because honestly, not only because he had the balls to make that trade, but he also gave Danny Heatley a fresh start in a hockey craze market like Ottawa, especially at the time where we were coming into the golden age. And I'm going to say something here on record. And I really do maintain this Danny Heatley pound for pound is the greatest goal scorer The Ottawa centers have ever had, especially if you look at his stats where look at, look at the goals he put up 52, 50, 41, 39, four yeah. seasons. He did that. He came into a situation where really his best was what? I think he had a 40 goal season in Atlanta. So he comes in and the fans didn't really know like, okay, which player are we going to get here? Cause a lot of people didn't really know who he was. Like obviously knew him due to the all-star game and unfortunately due to the car accident. But when he comes to Ottawa and he just says, Hey, I have two strikes against me. I can't, I have nothing to lose. Goes out and scores 52 goals in his first year. Yeah. And Danny Heatley's a really interesting player because you could kind of see after that 07 to eight, season the aging curve is really unkind to him he has one more pretty good season at san jose he's definitely a passenger in that 2010 2011 season and then all of a sudden the finishing ability just completely disappears on him yeah especially when he sent in minnesota things just kind of went downhill especially after that yeah it was weird like as soon as he turned 30 just his ability that wicked shot just disappeared on him but his time in ottawa was probably one of the as one of the most prolific scorers the nhl had seen in a long time like that is almost 200 goals in over four years yeah and and honestly and there was that four-year span of him playing in ottawa he was the best goal scorer in the nhl whose name wasn't alex ovechkin and people seem to forget that right obviously nowadays danny heatley's become more of a meme with the 50 and 07 and ottawa goes doing the fucking all-star videos but you know what healer healy's the fuck Danny Heatley's one of these guys that I think when you really get down to it and you really look back on his career, you just see a guy who was just an absolute monster. And he was a big guy too. People tend to forget he was six four, probably 220 pounds. He could move. And it's funny because when I look back on Heatley's career, I don't really associate him with speed. I don't exactly associate him with playmaking ability. I associate him with his goal scoring. Yeah, and it's funny because if you look historically through his career, Danny Heatley put up more assists than he did goals in any season he played. Which is surprising. It it seems surprising, but a lot of players do do that, right? But yeah. with Danny Heatley, he always got the rap of going to the right face-off dot and just letting it go. 
And to be fair, he did a lot of that, especially in his later years. He did. But you know what? You think of this time in Ottawa where he came into the situation in Ottawa, like we talked about, like I talked about, right? Where it says he had two strikes against him, but then he gets paired up with, with Daniel Alfredson and a very young Jason Spezza. Yeah. And what was interesting is that Spezza and Heatley was just an incredibly fun combo. Shit was always happening with them on the ice. Unfortunately, 07-08, it was just as often going into the back of the net as it was going into the back of the opponent's net. It was incredibly fun to watch. It was. I was having Ottawa coming out of a period where they had sort of Jacques Martin as their head coach and they're in a very defensive system with Patrick Lillian, couldn't really get over the hump. Having a big all-star guy like Heatley to come in and bring instant offense, definitely the center is a lot more fun to watch for sure, especially in those later seasons. Mm-hmm. 100%. Now, unfortunately, the final thing we got to talk about with Danny Heatley, of course, was his acrimonious departure in 2009. And I think it's one of these things where I think one of the reasons why the fans were so pissed off, and they're still pissed off today, is that the real reason for why he wanted out has never been clear. It's always It was always implied that, oh, it's because Danny Heatley's ice time was reduced or his role in the team was reduced. But the thing is, it's never been very clear why. These well, are that's, some, of the, some, of the, like, that's yeah. some of the reasons that contributed to it, but it's never been fully understood why. And especially because you look at nowadays where you see Carlson's, Mark Stone's, guys like this who end up leaving, and it's very clear why. But Heatley, it's kind of a – what was really the real reason? Was it because he was mad that his ice time was being reduced? Or was it other factors in the organization that he was not happy about? Well, what I've seen, just looking at his ice time over the 07-08-08-09 season is that his ice time was pretty stable and he actually played less in San Jose than he did in Ottawa. He was still like a first-line player, but there was just more in San Jose. So he was playing just a bit less time, say 20 minutes instead of like the 22 he was playing in Ottawa. But part of me has to wonder if it's just he was not getting along with Kurt coach Corey Clouston, because like, I don't think it was a locker room problem because him and Spezza were still buds and Danny Heatley seemed to be fine with a lot of the other players on the team after the trade. And they, you still saw photos of them together afterwards. I think he was at Spezza's wedding. So I don't think there was anything toxic in the locker room between the players. So yeah, it's just bizarre what happened. And I just don't think that error will ever be cleared. No, but it would be really nice. And today, and I think, I honestly believe, I think enough time has passed that the fans really would accept Danny Heatley back as we saw with, you saw with Alexi Yashin at the outdoor game, you're seeing it with some of the players who didn't have the best exits, but now they're back in the good graces of the team. But I often wonder, do you think this will happen if new ownership comes in with a sentence, right? Because it seems Melnick's still not happy with him. And, yeah. and why would he, right? Because he paid him $4 million and he says, no, I'm gone. I'm not playing again. Yeah. And especially, well, I think the thing that probably irks people the most is the fact that they lined up a trade with Edmonton and then it just gets, they just nixes it. Ultimately, Milan McCulloch might've been better than a Penner, Smead and Cogliano. But you also, you throw Jonathan Chichu into that trade and you have to wonder how things could have gone a lot better for Ottawa. 
<laughs> oh, Jonathan Chichu. Yeah, well, well, the actual best goal scorer in the NHL in 2005 2006, apparently. <laughs> I know. Isn't that a weird thing, eh? When hockey fans look back at that post lockout in those first couple of years, it's like, who were really the top goal scorers? It was obviously Ovechkin was coming into his pro, coming in the league. You had Danny Heatley. Chichu, nobody would have ever expected Chichu with 56 goals. But I mean, I guess when Joe Thornton arrives, and it's just like that's exactly the point. (laughs) But I think that's one thing that Danny Heatley was always blessed with is he had two of the best centers in the game. He had Spezza in Ottawa, he goes to San Jose, and he has Joe Thornton. Atlanta was the only place he didn't have that. I think Mark Savard might have been the the best center they ever had, but Honestly, when you look at that Heatley-Hosa trade, neither team lost because both teams got what they wanted. Hosa came to Atlanta, put up amazing numbers. People tend to forget how good he was in Atlanta. Yeah. Helps him get into the playoffs. Danny Heatley comes to Ottawa, has back-to-back 50-goal seasons, and get them to the finals. Yeah, and then the weirdest thing about Jonathan Chichu is his underlying numbers were good, but all of a sudden the guy just couldn't finish. Yeah, like that was you also, weird. Joe Ford, Joe Ford always made it with Chichu work. He didn't really have to take a difficult shot most of the time. It was always just tap in or it was set up for him pretty much. Yeah, but it's bizarre because like with like going through a standard X goals model with Chichu on the ice, the Ottawa Senators were much more threatening, but the guy just couldn't finish to save his life. And it wasn't like he was a defensive liability either. I'm just, I want to know what happened to Jonathan Chichu's finishing ability. I do as well. I mean, he had the potential. He scored 37 goals the year after he had 56, and everyone thought he was fine. And then things yeah. just kind of went downhill. <laughs> so we can honestly sit here and talk about Dan Healy all day, but we got to plug in next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode will be season five, episode 21 in chronological order, episode 116. And we got three names on the board, Brian McGratton, Clark MacArthur, and... Austin Watson. It's funny that two weeks in a row, we've really got these era polls and especially with Brian McGratton and Austin Watson on the polls. Yeah. It's like the tough guy era poll versus the skill era poll. It's true, man. But no, honestly, it's one of those polls. Like I think when I put it up, I, it's weird. Certain athlete polls, you could just be like, you can kind of tell where they're going to go. Like look at last week. You knew Radic Bonk was going to win. When you have Radic Bonk on the board, it's just like, okay, well, let's vote for him. Yeah. Why wouldn't you, right? But Clark MacArthur, I didn't, I'm not surprised Clark MacArthur is winning right now, but it's kind of like, you know, because Brian McGrath was a fan favorite in Ottawa when he played. I obviously see Austin Watson nowadays, and, you know, he threw a great hit last night. I'm not yeah. Surprised. But yeah, Clark MacArthur, fan favorite. He was one of my favorites during that era. So can't complain. So, Scott, we got to talk a little bit about yourself because when we had you, when we were talking with you and we were just like, oh, man, we got to get this guy on the show and he'll be great. But one of the nice things about working with people we've never got a chance to talk to and work with is we got to do a little bit of getting to know them. And one of the big things I love asking anytime that we talk with somebody new is how they became a fan of the team that they cheered for. Now, I know for yourself, living in Montreal, this might seem like a – obvious question but how did you become a fan of the montreal canadians well growing up obviously i had a background in sports trading and especially with hockey my dad is Stu cowan who happens to be one of the big sports traders here in montreal 
main sports writer for the Montreal Gazette. So obviously I definitely had that background growing up with the Habs are always kind of just in my household. They're always something that my family was talking about or that we were watching the games on TV. So I just kind of grew up around it and I naturally developed a love for hockey over time just from my dad encouraging it, all that kind of stuff. And as I was a kid, I grew up in a level of hockey history. And then as I grew, came into adult, I grew up with the more, to fill up the more modern side of hockey. But I was always fascinated by the Habs history and just all the great players who played for that franchise, all the dynasties, all the cup runs, all that kind of stuff. It just it really endeared me to that team from an early age. And of course, I grew up in an era where the Canadians weren't exactly the most successful team in the world. But going back into last season's playoff run, it was just awesome to get to see the city light up again. They get to remember what the Canadians used to be. Well, especially living in a hockey crazed market like Montreal, I can only imagine what it must have been like for the city with how the Habs got into the finals last year. But it's one of those things where, especially living on the West Coast, it's kind of a different feel. Like, yes, the Canucks are very popular, but when you see fans of like the Habs or the Leafs out West, it's very much like, and they're so passionate about those teams. But in Montreal, and you mentioned that your dad is Stu Cowan, who's a sports writer in Montreal. I often wonder, like, did, did he ever talk about any of the times where like the Montreal Canadiens and the Quebec Nordiques played in the eighties? Yeah, uh, totally. And we would sometimes watch the uh, good old good old NHL game center <laughs> matches, like the old school kind of matches they would put on TV where you would see the sort of uh, the obvious famous brawl between the Quebec Nordiques and the Canadians, the multiple incidents they had. But yeah, he definitely talked about how much of a rivalry there was between those teams and how magical it was for those two cities that are so close to each other to have two great NHL teams. Now, did your dad also cover the Montreal Expos or did he strictly cover the Habs? He wasn't really in a position to cover them when they were around, but he got to do bits and pieces as they were sort of entering their final struggling years. It's kind of sad and fascinating to watch a team kind of fall apart, eh? Especially with the team with the Expos. I mean, I grew up very much endearing that team because I got to grow up with the legends of the Montreal Expos more so than the actual sobering reality of what that team became as after 1994. And when they were sort of announcing the plans to bring a new team to Montreal with that whole Tampa Bay race situation where they're thinking of playing half the games in Tampa Bay and half the games in Montreal, I was talking about it with my dad and I was saying that I know a lot of kids are probably want a professional list in Montreal, but all the kids who are fans of the Expos are fans of the history of the Expos. And they're not really going to be a fan of a crappy new baseball team that's going to come to the city and not play very well at the end of the day. So I think I love the Expos personally, but I think it's just best to leave them in the place they were with their history and not try and bring them into the modern day. What is that like right now? Okay, and you mentioned with the Tampa Bay Rays coming to Montreal, what is the feeling in Montreal with that whole thing going down? Because I remember reading about that. And I'm like, really? Like you're bringing a team from Tampa Bay where it, it's a very passionate fan base, but, and we've talked with people in the past, It's just, or I've got to talk to people on Twitter. It's just like, it's very passionate, but they can't seem to really sell out games in St. Petersburg. And obviously Montreal, as much as it was very exposed heavy, I don't know if it would really fully work in Montreal. The idea has already basically been put into dead into the water as far as I'm aware, but it's still something that even if it was to come to fruition, just, yeah, Montreal is not really a place. Also the only stadium that's really available is the Olympic stadium with the roof that still doesn't work that well and can't really open that well. And to be honest, it's not even the craziest thing Montreal's done because Montreal is getting a basketball team for the season, the Montreal Alliance. So wait, for the Expos idea. Yes, I am not joking you. <laughs> what league? So it is the, oh, it's like something called the Canadian Elite Premier League. I think that's the name of it. Yeah, because I think Ottawa has a team too. Yeah, they do. Ottawa does have a team. It's the, yeah, the Canadian Elite Basketball League. 
and they're going to play in some random uh, university auditorium in Verdun. So I've never <laughs> so, heard of this league. Never have I. And so, but it makes the Expos thing not seem that seem not that far fetched. Eh? <laughs> well, I'm surprised that basketball team's not playing out of say McMaster's or one of the big universities in Montreal. Yeah, I know. Sorry, you mean McGill? McGill, thank you. Sorry, not McMaster's. We go. Now, given that we're on the talk about the, the Expos, and I wasn't going to say this for the end of the episode, but I want to get your take on this because there's been some rumors floating around lately with the reverse retro jerseys for next season that the Montreal Canadiens are going to be doing a Expos-inspired jersey. I want to get your take on that. Do you think that the Canadiens will go with the Expos-inspired jersey for next season? I would love to see them go for a jersey like that. I think it would be a really interesting proposition. Whatever they actually will due to its connection and also the fact that it's kind of going to be a weird design to play a baseball logo into that will be remains to be seen but after those striped jerseys they had for their 100th centennial uh, anniversary i think anything goes the Habs definitely <laughs> have had their uh sometimes tough or not very good looking jerseys so <laughs> these guys the limit yeah those jerseys were brutal man they're brutal now another nice thing i really <clears throat> get to do with these segments is i get to learn about their our guest podcast or whatever blog they write for. Now, for yourself, and I know that you're the co-host of the Puck and Roll podcast as well as a writer for A Winning Habit, a Montreal Canadiens blog, as well as Puck Bros. So do you want to talk a little bit about, well, first of all, how did the Puck and Roll podcast come about and how did you end up becoming a writer for those sites? Well, basically, Puck and Roll podcast actually started from uh, A Winning Habit in a weird way because basically during the Canadiens Cup run, the writers and I for that website were talking quite a bit because we were so engrossed in all the hype the city was surrounding things like that so at a certain point somebody came up and said why don't we try and start a podcast not really affiliated with the actual winning habit itself which is connected to fan side network obviously but we decided to try and start our own because our host uh, mr patrick lordy is actually uh, has experience before with hosting a podcast and he's had work with different ones so we thought it'd be pretty a nice seamless transition and he brought all the writers in and we've been going like that ever since so it's it originally came as about for my writing, and it's just been something that's been growing ever since. Okay. Now, when it comes to the sites themselves, like, did you have, like, obviously, with your dad being a sports writer, did you ever have any aspirations of wanting to be a sports writer, or was it just something that you just have to get into? Well, the funny thing about it, actually, is when uh, part of the reason why I got into sports writing when I was younger was because I knew so much about hockey to a point that I had, I couldn't talk to kids my age about it because. <laughs> I'd ever talk about stuff that they weren't familiar with or I'd go off on some random tangents. So I started writing about hockey mostly as a way just to be able to get my opinion out there and a way to kind of put my thoughts on paper, especially with all the things that were going on in the NHL. I wanted to start talking about stuff. And after doing that for about two years, I started a blog for a while that I was writing on, on and off. I saw that Fansite was hiring and that they're always looking for writers. So I applied to When You Have It First, had a great experience there, and it's just been going ever since. Nice. Now, when it comes to your posts, like how often do you post to the site? Is it like a weekly thing or is it bi-monthly? How do you go about it? I, I used to post uh, in like a kind of bi-weekly format, especially in summers when I'm sort of have more free time and I can get more stuff done. I typically try to post a lot more, but my standard is usually free to free post a month. It's like one for Puck Pros, two for Winning Habit, or if I'm lucky, like three or four for Winning Habit. <clears throat> Now, when it comes to the Puck and Roll podcast, like, do you, same thing? Do you guys do weekly, bi-weekly? Yep. We, uh, we typically do weekly episodes that we record on a Tuesday, but so depending on different circumstances, we'll re-record or change things around. Okay. Now, for next season, I, I know, like, obviously with the 2021, sorry, 2021-2020 season are still going on. For next season, like, are you guys going to be changing anything up for the podcast? Are you going to be doing game recaps, any stuff like that that you know about? 
we're always looking to uh, try and introduce new stuff and that's probably why i love this podcast so much is that we're always changing things up and being able to add what, whatever we can in so yeah there's always new things in the works and i'm looking forward to showing what's next Excellent. so yeah i don't know how to really segue into this but i guess it's the time <laughs> where we segue into this little segment i like to call top of the hour thanks not the smoothest transition i will ever admit to but hey you know what i'm trying man i'm really trying now scott one of the things i really hate doing with these new stories is talking about death now we don't have a death this week but we do have a really sad story to kick off top of the hour with toronto police prospect rodan amaroff has been diagnosed with a brain tumor Amaroff, drafted 15th overall by the Toronto Police in 2020, is reportedly in good spirits and will look to return. And that's, you know, and same, regardless of what team you cheer for, when you see something, when you read stories like this, it's just like, God, that, that hits, man. It hits because as a hockey fan, you never want to see stuff like this happen to anybody. Absolutely not. And especially with the fact that Amarov is one of my personal favorite prospects in the 2020 NHL draft, and I think he's a kid who has a really great feature ahead of him. Obviously, playing in the KHL, he's been able to find a really he's able to find a really good role, sort of a bottom six kind of guy as a rookie, 20 years old. So yeah, it's an absolute shame to see a kid like this who always had a bright future have to deal with something like this. And I'm wishing all the best and hopefully he can make a recovery and maybe we'll see him back on the ice sooner than later. Yeah, and the best thing to see is that he's in high spirits, and uh, yeah, we'll hope to see him back. 100. Now we're going to change over from a sad story to actually a good story. Colorado Avalanche color commentator Peter McNabb announced that his cancer is in remission. So that's super awesome. And, you know, we go from such a sad story, neighbor off or Amaroff with his brain tumor to color to Peter McNabb now being announced. He doesn't have any cancer. It's great, man. So good to read. Always good to hear, man. And we're going to give a couple of congratulations. First of all, we're going to give a big congratulations to New York Islanders defenseman, Daniel Chara, who became the all-time leader in NHL games played by a defenseman with 1,652. Chara, drafted 56th overall by the Islanders in 1996, had recorded eight assists in 44 games for the Islanders this season at the time of the story. So I know, Scott, you probably have some opinions of Daniel Chara being the longtime Boston Bruin, but also <laughs> a former Ottawa Senator, too. So as a Habs fan, like, let's get your take on this with Daniel Chara. Are, well, first of all, are you even that surprised that Daniel Chara at, what, 43 is still going? To be honest, no. I mean, when I, especially when he's the Boston Bruins, even in his peak years in 2010-2011 when they won the Stanley Cup, even then I could see Chara playing for 10 years even at that point or 10 more years even at that point because it just – how dominant of a presence he is. And also the fact that the main aspects of his game that work so well are ones that don't necessarily require good foot speed or other elements that definitely come with a player aging. He can still be a solid player and he can still play a solid sh- uh, role, even with the fact that he is 44 now. So I've always been just an appreciator of Tara more than anything. And especially with the fact with Pacioretty, obviously the hit he laid on him that was made him kind of public enemy number one for a while. But when you break a record like this, you can't just help but uh, stand there and you know, congratulate the guy, you know? Yeah. Well, I know for us being sense fans, like so Daniel Char is one of those guys that again, you're going back to the 06 or 0506 season. That's a huge what if in the sense. And I think that really showed the last 15 years it's really proven is what if we didn't let Chara go, right? Because Chara really, I think he's still probably might have still been playing with the Sens today, but one of my favorite moments of him, and I know 
it's going to make both of us happy given that we hate, both hate the Leafs <laughs> when he dwarfed us Brian McCabe around. And Brian's a big guy too. He's six three, two 220 pounds, and he just grabs and just to- to- toss him around. It's like, holy shit, dude. That's the ultimate talk- definition of ragdolling somebody. Yeah. Well, we're talking about a dude who does Greco-Roman wrestling as a hobby that he picked up from his dad. And he's like six foot nine off of the skate. So is it any surprise that if Char decides to fight a guy, the guy just has no hope? Probably. Well, it's funny when you listen to interviews, like Brian Barrow did one with Spit and Chicklets where he talked about Char as a rookie. And he says, I would have never seen the career he had because he comes in and he says, yeah, Char couldn't skate. This guy's like six, nine. And he's God, like this guy can't skate it. How is he going to play in the NHL? But he says everything about it was true. Like he'd go in the weight room. He's warming up at like 310 pounds, like nothing. Like he would just bench press it 10 times. He'd be like, okay, I warmed up. Jesus Christ. Oh, good fucking Lord, dude. Uh, good Lord. So we're going to give another congratulation to Colorado Avalanche forward, Nathan McKinnon, who set the new Avalanche franchise record for most shots in the game with 14 during their game versus the Winnipeg Jets. McKinnon, drafted first overall by the Colorado Avalanche in 2013, had recorded 14 goals, 36 assists for 50 points at 37 games for Colorado at the time of the story. Nathan McKinnon, I would have, I don't know. And I remember reading this thinking like, oh, come on. There's no way that he hit 14 shots. And then I looked it up. I was like, oh, Nathan McKinnon really did do that. Well, I wouldn't put anything past it. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I know he's really good, but Jesus. Well, think of the supporting cast he has to enable that sort of play too. Like you have guys like Kale McCarr, you've got... Rantanen, you've got Gabriel Landeskog, you've got even Nazan Kadri's playing the nuts this year. This is a team that is, they can shoot at will because they just establish cycle dominance with ease. Like 14 shots is incredible. <laughs> like that's almost a shot every minute that you play in the game. Which is really funny because, you know, when I, when I was thinking about this, I'm thinking of guys like Stamkos, Ovechkin, guys like that who are like just bona fide superstars when it comes to being goal scorers. Not not taking any away from Nathan McKinnon, but I was just kind of take surprised that Nathan McKinnon of all people would be the one with 14 shots, right? Because he's he's a good goal scorer, but I think of him more as a playmaker more than anything else. Especially on a team of all these different star players to see that guy kind of stand out that much and get that many opportunities. I think it also just goes to show that the Avalanche aren't really a team of individuals. They play like a team at the end of the day, unlike a certain Toronto team that I've <laughs> <laughs> particularly not a great fan of. But yeah, I think it's it definitely speaks a lot for just how good the Avalanche are our team and how cohesive they are as a team, which will only further enable their chances to eventually win the cup, hopefully. Well, I know for myself, and I think Colorado's big problem is in goal. I'm sorry. I'm not sold in their goaltending. And I was saying, I don't know why they're not going out to get, I mean, obviously you would have to give up a lot to get a star goaltender. Like obviously Patrick Wah being one of them back in the day. But the thing is, is like really where would Colorado even get a guy like that to really could propel them into the finals. Right. But flurry. Yeah. Flurry. I mean, if you, that's a good. That's a good answer. I think if Flurry was on a really good team, he would be better. But well, he's even the, he's recovered since the beginning of the season. Like his yeah, the know, first his ten games were, were they were dreadful. 
But part uh, of the reason why his numbers still look so bad is because of those 10 games, which can kind of yeah. be thrown to the wayside. But at least Colorado has a guy like Pavel Franku, who's now playing a lot better in the back position. So Darcy Kemper isn't on his own now. At least have a somewhat of a two-goalie system. And at the end of the day, so many NHL teams right now are running on two-goalie systems. Yeah. So, And the know. other thing is, is they, the hard thing with Colorado is they're missing their first and their second this year, but they do have about $4 million of cap space. So if someone eats cap, Colorado could fit flurry. And then you could have a pretty good two goalie system going into the playoffs. Well, is flurry flurry's not a UFA this off season. Is he? Yes. He is. Yeah. Oh yeah. He did sign a one year. Yeah. Well, he had one year left on his, uh, he had to send like a two year deal with Vegas. Yeah. Maybe that's something they do in the trade deadline, right? We're only a couple of weeks away from that. I think if they land flurry, I think Colorado might be, Heavy favorites in the West right now. They already are, Tay. We're talking about a team that hasn't really lost since True, but I'm December. saying that pushes them even higher up there, man. Like, yeah. Especially for how top heavy the Western Conference really is, where you got Vegas, Colorado. But there's certain teams that are really good right now. Like Minnesota's playing really well. Nashville's up there. But it'll come down to Colorado, Vegas. Well, this is a really interesting year because I think this oh, is yeah. the year where parity in the NHL died. Because the East is already locked up. Your playoff teams are Carolina, Pittsburgh, New York, Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Boston, Washington. No one is cracking that. And in the West, it's complete, it's a complete absolute wild card of a race right now. And but at the same time, you have your upper echelon of teams that are completely separated and then just kind of a mess of could also runs. It's a very bizarre thing happening. And I think there's an agreement that outside of Colorado and Minnesota. And Calgary's trying to sneak into that conversation now. Mm. The East is to the East and Colorado are the teams to beat. Yeah. Honestly, I like I like Calgary right now. Calgary's chances are looking pretty good with that Defoli trade, but it's gonna be is this play gonna be sustainable for four rounds of playoff hockey? Well, I think Calgary has been a good team. They've only had kind of one weak spot this whole season. And it's a team that rolls four lines effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, P- well, you can look, their fourth line does look a little suspect, but I think their Calgary can make some noise. They could. And I'm not saying that because I live here. That is true, Tim. That is true. So you guys, you know how at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about Danny Healy and how he's really become a meme. We got to turn our attention to another guy who might become the new meme of the NHL. Tampa Bay Lightning for Corey Perry became the 67th player in NHL history to record 400 career goals. Perry, drafted 28th overall by the Anaheim Mighty Ducks in 2003, has recorded 14 goals, 14 assists for 28 points in 50 games for Tampa at the time of the story. I'm really disappointed because yesterday was their outdoor game. I'm really, really sad that Corey Perry didn't go two for two for business. <laughs> For being <laughs> that would have been incredible. Always nice to see a guy like Corey Perry performing, especially at this age to see him still producing like this is really encouraging to see. Mm-hmm. Well, we even saw it last year with when he played for Montreal, right? Where Carey, or Corey Perry comes into Montreal and he's not expected to be the top guy, but he looked pretty solid from what I was seeing with the Habs. He wasn't. He played an absolute essential role for this team last year, especially during the playoffs. And it maybe kind of upset. Well, it was just kind of 
uh, sad to see him go, honestly, when he left for free agency. We tried to offer him a contract and he just wanted to go to a contender. And I completely understand that, especially with considering how things kind of fared this year. It would have been really yeah. bad for Corey Perry if he had actually managed to stick around. Yeah. Well, imagine if he go if he becomes a new Marion host going three for three of not winning the cup. <laughs> that would be incredible. But what's so interesting about the modern NHL is you have a lot of fitness freaks. So you start, and we've talked about two of them today with Zidane Chara and Corey Perry. You've got a lot of these guys who are playing into their late thirties, early forties, just because, and they're still good at doing it because the obsession with fitness in the NHL is, and has got to this insane level and guys like Gary Roberts really pushed this trend. And it's, we're really seeing the rewards of we have right now we have two 40 year olds playing Andy green will turn 40 this year. Mark Giordano is having an incredible season despite being on Seattle at 38. Jason Spezza is still kicking. Yep. Well, Green, there's a name. My God. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's not sell Nathan McKinney short too, because he's a fitness freak himself, all with his chickpeas and his weird ass diets and making him angry. Well, the dude, this is going to be a player that we're going to probably Nathan McKinney's probably going to play until he's 40. And just to really put the put the point home, there are 43 players who are older than 35 or older playing in the NHL right now. Yeah, one of them is, being Leo Komarov. Yeah, which is crazy because nowadays in the NHL, like 32 is considered old. You know, Tim, it's it's kind of funny. If we if we'd started this podcast well over 10 years ago, this next guy would have made top of the air every single week. But I gotta ask the question. Gentlemen, are you ready to talk about Sean Avery in 2022? The East Coast Hockey League's Orlando Solar Bears have signed former New York Rangers for Sean Avery to a standard ECHL contract. Now, unfortunately, Avery, who is 41 and hasn't played in the NHL since 2012, was later released from this contract. Oh, did you see the videos of him skating? Yep. It was not pretty. No. Well, he hadn't skated in 10 years, right? Maybe he should have gone to the Hudson and dug his skates out. Like that was, it was a very bizarre news story. And it was incredible to see Jorge LaRock be like, Hey, can I sign an ECHL contract? And, and Matthew Barnaby. <laughs> Just all these people who still want to punch his face in years later. Yeah. Well, it's so crazy. They were offering even promotional uh, jerseys. You could, uh, you could sort of pre-order for promotional Sean Avery jerseys. And then they released him like what the next day. Yeah, they obviously had plans for it to be something, but then apparently Avery and then decided to leave it as a simple publicity stunt to move on. When I was reading the story, that's all I took it as. I just took it as okay, this is a huge publicity stunt. There's no way he's going to come back. Yeah, Especially for a guy who hadn't played in ten years and he's in his forties. Well, on top of that, you have a guy who uh, is notorious for pissing off everybody and anybody he works with. Okay, did you has any has either of you guys ever saw his Instagram videos of him pissing off people in New York on the bicycle? Yes. <laughs> I watched that and I'm like, Aves, you you've got a lot of balls to do this because New Yorkers are not exactly known to be very nice about shit if you start talking if you start talking shit to them. So yeah. for me, it's just like how how many views do you think that we get if one of those guys just knocked Sean Avery out on camera? I would have been like, oh my God, this is, this is something else, man. 
So we're going to move away from talking about Sean Avery and talk about the Chicago Blackhawks because the Chicago Blackhawks have parted with Hockey Hall of Famer Bobby Hall as a team ambassador. The Blackhawks, whom stated that they are redefining their role of team ambassador after Stan Mikita passed away in 2018 and Tony Esposito passed away in August, were in a joint agreement earlier this season with Hall, who will retire from any official team role. Yeah, I can't think of any reason why he might be wanting to do that. Am I out of the loop here? In what way? Did did Bobby Hall do something dumb? No, he didn't do anything dumb. In the past, he has. And you go look at him on Wikipedia and you read some of the stuff he's done in his life. It's like, ooh, Todd Collar. But yeah, I don't know. I, th- I always thought it was because with the whole thing with Kyle Beach and everything the Blackhawks have gone through, I honestly thought this is probably why that Bobby Hall's like, okay, no, I'm done. But honestly, I don't know. I just kind of came out of left field because the Blackhawks, obviously, Bobby Hall will always be a legend in Chicago with the Hawks, but it's just like, okay, this just kind of seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. But maybe if they're redefining it, maybe they'll bring in some new blood because there's like, like who you could bring in like Ed Belfour, you could bring in Jeremy Roenick, you can bring in Steve Larmer throw a rock at 70s and 80s Blackhawks. You could bring so many guys in. Denny Savard, perfect example of a Hawks you can do as a team ambassador, especially for a team that's in a very, very tough spot right now. Go even even further. Bring in Mark Bell. Bring in Kyle Calder. Bring in all your old favorite Blackhawks players from the 2000s. Eric (laughs) Gazze. There you go. Bring back Bufflin. I don't think that would happen because he was on the 2010 team. God, who? Oh, right. Yeah, no, don't bring back Bufflin. <laughs> Tony Amane, maybe they could bring him back. But Well, Bufflin bounced the like as soon as that was done. Yeah. That's true. Also, oh, he was also a forward with the Hawks. A lot of people will forget that as well. Wasn't a defenseman. Yeah, he was kind of the two-role two guy on that team. Yeah, yeah. The NHL and NHLPA have announced a new partnership with TikTok to, quote-unquote, deliver original content and unique experiences to TikTok's global community. The upcoming Stadium Series and Heritage Classics games will feature the TikTok tailgate stage, featuring said community's favorite artists, as well as other content ranging from interviews to programming designed to showcase players' personality and personal styles. I could honestly care less. I thought we were supposed to be boycotting TikTok because it's owned by the Chinese government. No, because now it's making now it's making people lots of money. So apparently, uh, it's all it's all it's all above board. Yeah, makes sense. You know, it's really interesting talking about this, Tim, because I remember when we were talking back in the playoffs, and we were talking about there was this TikToker the NHL had brought in to try and help promote the game, and we were just like, "Is this really going to work?" Well, at the same time, I think both of us kind of realized that that Seymour Skinner, we were both simultaneously living the Seymour Skinner, no, the children are wrong, and the Abe, it cha- what it was changed, Simpsons moments in real time. I got to ask, like, what do you make about all this stuff, like with the NHL and TikTok? It seems like they're really trying to push the social media element. They're trying to engage younger viewers like i don't know do you think this would work with the younger generation uh i don't know i'm kind of just on the fence with the whole like viral tiktok media thing and it's just something i don't personally get into myself even as a person who does art as like a side thing all that kind of stuff it's really big for artists even then i'm not super interested in it but 
I mean, the NHL's tried stuff before that I thought wouldn't work, and it worked out pretty dang well. So I think, I think honestly, it'd be an interesting thing to look into. It's just not something that I'm super enthusiastic for. TikTok's also quite weird because it kind of splits into like these micro genres almost that sometimes don't talk to each other, and it's not really optimized for anything very deep. So it might be quite difficult to pull people from TikTok into another venture. Like the most successful monetary thing I can think of of TikTok happening was when rumors ended up on top of the charts after 50 years because of a dude drinking cranberry juice in a shopping cart. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm very I, probably because I'm not of the age where this would really excite me. I mean, who would they really get? Would they get like, say, I don't know, Jake Paul or somebody from TikTok to do this? Like, I don't know. Because honestly, and I agree with T- Tim even made this comment when we talked about this last time. It was kind of like, like there's nobody that you could really definitively down the middle that everybody would like. If a common person would know that's not on TikTok. That person just doesn't really exist anymore unless you want to go back 20, 30 years. But I think the only way you could really work this is if you get the players themselves to TikTok. Yeah. That's probably the way you do it because I don't. And this is pretty true of a lot of social media platforms is that it's bottom-up engagement top-down stuff a lot of people just don't like it because it screams of how do you do fellow kids yeah i i i, I agree with you there so. so it's like if the nhl tries to like encourage the players to do their own stuff then i can see this working yeah, it's almost like the NHL tries everything and nothing at the same time to promote the game. But honestly, the, some of the and we talked about this in the past is like some of the players have such a really good personality, especially if you go on Instagram, you see some of their posts. Like being all Senators fans, you see it like if, with Brady DeChuck and Josh Norris and Stutzla and all these guys, their interactions with each other is just fantastic. So it, it's not like the players don't have the personality. It's that yeah. the NHL has always had a culture of like, stay in the box, don't step out of it. You see it with, like, the P.K. Subans. You saw it with guys like this who have a bit of personality, a bit of swagger to them, and they're just being criticized and chastised for that. It's nice that that's breaking down, especially if you have got, like, guys like Brady Kachuk or even Brad Marchand on social media are fucking hilarious. Oh, oh God, Marchand just roasting people is amazing. Or even just... uh Taylor Hall saying, well, I better add lottery ball specialist to my resume now. Yeah. So we're going to close off top of the air by talking about a trade. The Arizona Coyotes have traded goaltender <coughs> Carter Hutton to the Toronto Maple Leafs for future considerations. Hutton recorded two losses with a 741 Sabre Sense for Arizona this season. Ooh. I'm a little <laughs> surprised. That Arizona is usually very good at extracting a tax for helping other teams evade the cap. I'm surprised they didn't extract something here. I think it's just a weird trade in general because Carter Hutton was a player already when he was announced as like Coyote's starting goalie. I was a bit on the fence about the fact of like, really, you're going to put a guy who really struggled in Buffalo last year and he played so terribly in his first two games and now it's just kind of. From what I heard, basically, Toronto traded for him, but he's going to stay and play with Arizona's AHL team so he doesn't have to leave his family and go to a different team entirely. So it's just a weird trade all around, but you see those all the time in the NHL. Oh, yeah. Well, this one is 
basically Toronto is then moving their they're moving the salary somewhere else so that they can get a bit more salary cap space for the deadline. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a cap movement. Trip. Yeah, very much so. Well guys, that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can mean only one thing. So we're talking about some games. Now we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Rangers versus the senators, wild versus the senators and the Canadians versus the senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Okay, let's start talking about the Rangers versus the Senators. This is a two-to-one Rangers victory. Rangers scored scored by Ryan Strom and our Timmy Panarin. The lone sense goal was scored by Tam. Shot for 33-30 for the Rangers. Tim Stressel opens the scoring to make it one nothing Senators with an absolute laser. Ryan Strome scores to get New York on the board to tie the game at one, and our Timmy Pinaren scores to make it 2-1 Rangers, which would be the final. So we had to, so I had to condense watch this game last week because we were doing two episodes on the Sunday. We did our exclusive interview with Brent Wallace, which was fantastic, as well as recording our weekly episode. So without further ado, guys. Let's talk about Tim Stutzla. One goal on four shots. Let me tell you, it's games like this that really makes me excited to see what he can do when he gets to be 23, 24, 25 years old. Well, even next year is going to be incredible because we're looking at a season where Tim Stutzla, 20 plus goals, is not off the table. Mm -hmm. Like that is definitely in play. And I'd honestly be surprised if he misses more than if he hits this year. And in this game, he was on a mission. And I'm su- I'm surprised he didn't get a second, to be perfectly frank. The Ottawa Senators played a fantastic game despite playing the game the night before. And Stutzla just missed on this beautiful, beautiful in-tight shot. So, Scott, I know as a Montreal Canadiens fan, I want to get your take on Tim Stutzla because, obviously, as an opposing fan, like, what is your takes on our new German superstar? I am a really, really big fan of Sutsla as a player. And I think the moment he was drafted by the Senators, I thought this guy would be one of the better rookies to come out of the gate in the NHL because he was such a talented player in a men's league. And sort of that shows a lot for a guy's development when he's able to kind of keep up with guys like that at such a young age. So when Ottawa picked him, I had a thought that this would be a perfect player for this team and a perfect player for the roster that they're building. And they had the pieces in place of Drake Baffertson. They had like Josh Norris. They had guys like that who hadn't really broken out yet. And it was really nice to see Batterson, Norris, Stutzla, all those guys come out at the same time. And Ottawa has just a really well-rounded roster, I find, with their young players. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing what Stutzla can bring in the future. Because after the kind of on-and-off start he had to the season, it's nice to see him kind of rebound and be able to play at a similar pace to the one he was playing at last season. For sure. And he was definitely a guy when we drafted him in 2020. Stutzla was really seen as the kind of just the other guy because really that draft was Lafreniere and Byfield. Yeah. Tim Stutzla was seen as just like the consolation prize and all of it. It was like, yeah, okay, team's going to take him. And I think in retrospect, which is how you see how Lafreniere and Byfield have played in their first couple of two seasons of the NHL, you're just thinking, I'm sure fans of the Rangers and the Kings are looking at each other going, how did we not take Stutzla? Which is how instant he has become an impact in the nhl the hard thing with byfield is he just hasn't played because yeah. the guys yeah. had injury problems out the wazoo 
But when he has well, played for LA, he's looked pretty good. LA was just trying to take their time with Swift Byfield, and then he ran into injury troubles at the same time. But in reality, not only is Stutzla a guy that a lot of teams are looking, thinking, why didn't they take him? Lucas Raymond is the same story. The guy went yeah. fourth overall because he's been a uh, Calder favorite this year. And while it'll be close between him and uh, uh, Martin Sider, excuse me, uh, while we close between those two, I think, yeah, Raymond's kind of a similar story where it's funny that Detroit lost two draft lotteries and at the end of the day got probably better players. Yeah, well, it gives me – it's like what the Vancouver Canucks, right, in the – I'd say the mid to late 2010s where they were losing draft lotteries, but they ended up getting, you know, Elias Patterson, they got Brock Besser. They landed these guys who really have really developed. Now, obviously the Canucks are in a tough position right now because they're not exactly playing well, but you know, they're really good players. And sometimes that's what, like Ottawa is a perfect example of that. We didn't win any of the draft lotteries, but we ended up with Brady. We ended up with, Jake Sanderson, obviously the trade with San Jose, we landed Stutzla, so we can't really complain. Now, talking about Brady to Chuck, even though he had four shots in this game, I really, really do wish he had potted one in this game because honestly, I love Brady to Chuck and I wish he could have done it because if there, there's a team that just dr- he drives crazy. For whatever reason, it's always the Rangers. <laughs> well, if you can get under Chris Kreider's skin, that's actually an impressive thing to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, the final guy I want to talk about here, Philip Gustafson, 31 saves, a .939 save percentage. And it's a shame that the Senators didn't get the W because he had a really good game in this one. I have said this on the past, and I will say it now, I still am not a fan of his all-red setup. I'm sorry. It just looks very bland, very kind of forgettable, especially when you have Anton Forsberg that has, like, the white pads with the – red and gold in it. It's like, oh, chef's kiss. I think it was just nice personally to see Gustafson have a solid outing after he's obviously been on and off struggling this year. And especially last season when Ottawa played him and whenever they did play him, even though he was only really a limited member of the roster, he played fantastic. And I was really looking forward to seeing this guy maybe as the future in that of Ottawa. While it looks like he's still a little bit away from that, uh, having Anton Forsberg and having especially Matt Murray playing as well as they're playing now, it'll be nice to give him a bit of time to kind of take pressure off his shoulders and allow him to develop a little bit further. For sure. And it's tough, though, because Ottawa also has a lot of... They are very deep in the goaltender pipeline, especially if Matt Murray is the Matt Murray we watched in 2016-2017. That is a deep goaltending pipeline. Oh, very much so, man. Very much so. So let's turn our attention to the second game of the episode, Wild versus Senators. This is a 4-3 Senators victory. Wild goals are scored by Kevin Fiala, Jared Spurgeon, and John Merle. Sens goals are scored by... Hot Sambacho with two goals, Brady DeChuck and Tim Stutzla. Stop for 43-34 for Minnesota. So I didn't actually realize this until now. I forgot to write a rundown for this episode, Tim, or for this game. But that's okay because honestly, we would just be delaying the inevitable of talking about Thomas Shabbat, two goals, one assist for three points on six games. I'm going to say it right now. Hands down, the best game I have seen Thomas Shabbat play in his career, bar none. It's tough because uh, like that, the opening period 
for the senators was fantastic other than minnesota getting two getting two rings of iron in the first minute then shabbat just taking it down the other end of scoring it was probably the strongest we've seen shabbat but at the same time ottawa just kind of faded in the early second mid third and it was a bit tough to watch and ottawa definitely they they clawed out a win they probably shouldn't have won let's be very real here True, but I'm just talking about like an individual effort because Thomas Shabbat has played some really great games in his career. But when you saw him in this game, because he, again, he comes back from injury, the yeah. Senators aren't playing him 35 minutes that night. He goes out and does this. And he looks so dominant with the puck. He took it and it's like, okay, you can try and catch me and get me if you want, but I've got it and it's going in. So try your best, bro. Yeah. Thomas Shabbat's game-winning goal is probably the funniest game-winning goal I've seen in a while where he just kind of eh, risks it the net and it goes in. Yeah. 100%. So, Scott, I want to get your take on Thomas Shabbat. Now, obviously, as a guy who's a French-Canadian defenseman, you got to understand that it, he's one of these guys that – a fan favorite, a superstar player in the NHL – as a Habs fan, and now we, we talk about Tim Stutzel, like that, I'd like to get your takes on Thomas Shabbat and how you thought he played in this game. I thought Shabbat looked absolutely fantastic, to be honest. And I thought he looked very, very confident and very on edge with the puck. And I think he definitely showcased a bit of... It's been nice to see Shabbat showcase more and more a bit of that um, unbelievable season he had in 2018-19. And ever since then, whenever I've seen Shabbat play, I always see glimpses of it. And it's just nice to see him coming into his own more as an actual true top-end leader for the Senators team. Also about the amount of minutes he's playing every single night. He's really becoming the defenseman I think the Senators team needs to going forward, which is somebody that can build their team around, somebody who can log big minutes. And last night showcased especially that even if he isn't playing that huge role every single night with the minutes he can still contribute and still be a dominant offensive force so i'm just looking forward to seeing what he can do the rest of the year and he's been a very very welcoming presence for this team i find absolutely and he's a guy that especially when you look at the 2015 draft where he got taken i think in retrospect it's almost mind-boggling the fact that he dropped to 18 because especially now obviously i mean you got no, Hannafin, Ivan Provenoff, Zach Wierenski, you got some really good defensemen, but when you've got Boston that whiffed on him, <laughs> not only three times, three times, they whiffed, they whiffed on Shabbat, they whiffed on Matt Barzell, and they whiffed on Kyle Connor. Imagine if they take all three of them. Well, didn't they end up taking like the, Nick Ritchie? Also Brock and, Besser. Yeah. And DeBrusque wants out. And they, they, they DeBrusque took was, the it was DeBrusque, Zaboro, and Zachary Senishin, who, again, also wants out. Yeah. Surgeon, yeah. Actually, I was going to say, Scott, talk about Zachary Surgeon. There's a guy I used to work with who is actually from Ottawa, and I think his girlfriend is Surgeon's cousin, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. We got talking. Oh, fuck. Oh, that doesn't sound good. No, that doesn't. I'm keeping on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, but no. No, honestly, Thomas Shabbat played a great game in this. Now, another guy who played really well in this, Thomas is not Thomas Shabbat. Actually, he, ah, fuck it, he played great. Let's talk about him twice now. Brady Chuck. He had a goal on five shots, two words, captain shit. Well, that power play was insanity. They kept pos- they kept aggressive possession for a full minute, five shots on the pen on the power play. 
including a beautiful setup Shabbat Stutzla Kachuk. Beautiful chef's kiss goal. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's what the Ottawa power play with Shabbat with Shabbat's going to be, and I mean, the Ottawa power play has struggled a bit throughout the year, but if that's what it can be, that's scary. It is. Now, Scott, as a Montreal fan, I'm sure Brady to Chuck is a bit of a sore spot because he's the guy the Habs could have taken at number three in 2018. Yes, indeed. And so they took his very cucky and yummy. And you can say all you want about how cucky and yummy turned out in Montreal, but who knows? Maybe Kachuk wouldn't have been a great fit in our system. You never really know with the way certain players go into certain teams. So I think Ottawa technically, I guess, was the perfect fit in the end because he's been able to become the, the exact player everyone thought he could be. Well, honestly, I think if Brady went to Montreal, I think he really would have fit in with the Habs, especially where when you got a guy like... Alexander, is it Romanov or Romanov? Uh, Romanov. Romanov. Okay, so I've been saying it wrong. Yeah, like we got a guy like Romanov who's got this hard-hitting defenseman on the back end, and Brady would have been perfect on the on the front end because you have a guy who doesn't take shit from anybody. He bullies teams, and that's where I think Montreal over the last couple of years have really struggled. They really haven't had that guy, especially with the skill players. You see the Suzuki's, Caulfield's. When was it like? When was the last time Montreal has had a player similar to, to a Brady to Chuck? Right. I definitely think it's been a while, and especially Montreal is just a team that struggled to have game-breaking players. And people will mention that the Habs have had guys who have had really good seasons and had you know point-per-game seasons, but it's never been consistent. And the year after, they've usually fallen off the map or they've been traded. We look at Thomas Tatar, who had a great year with us, got traded the year after. We look at Max Domi, who had a good season with us, got traded one season after. It's just a case of Montreal has had guys who have the ability or the potential to be those big star players, but they just haven't found a guy yet who consistently, year after year, can bring the same elements to the table. And I think Brady Kachuk has given that to the Senators, which is amazing considering he's still young and he's still entering the prime of his career in many ways. The only guy I could think of that Montreal's had that's close to that has been Shea Weber. Shea, which you will, but now Shea Weber is not exactly a factor in this team anymore. His career course, is pretty yeah. much in the books, so that's the thing. So let's move our attention to Tim Stutzla, who had a goal on two shots. And honestly, with the way he played in this game, I really can't complain. No, he was another guy on a mission, right? And as we've been saying, uh, he's going to be very good. And he just keep he has been getting better over this season. Absolutely. And, and especially with that new tape job he's using, which I still maintain, he's stealing it from this guy. But that's <laughs> because honestly, I really like it. Actually, one little comment I want to make. About a few weeks ago, I noticed this. When the says we're playing the Blue Jackets, is... The Sens had this picture of Artem Zub, Zub, Zub in their Instagram stories. And I was noticing that it's just it's a weird little thing. I know it's Artem Zub, how he's tying his skates. I noticed it because he wraps the laces around the boot. And I really noticed that because I actually, and I do that myself. Yep. I find with skates, they end up coming really loose. And I find if I t- wrap them around the boot, it just, it keeps them really tight. And I saw that and I was like, that's a really, that's a really interesting thing I've noticed. I don't know why I'm ends up noticing these kind of things. Cause I noticed that the Stutzla tape job where he tapes the entire stick, except you see the bottom of it where there's no tape. And I noticed doing it myself that it slides on the ice really easily, which is great. Now, another guy we should talk about here, Tim is Anton Forsberg, 40 saves, a 0.930 save percentage. 
with how the defense in this game really didn't help him at times, I thought he looked fantastic. Oh, yeah. Forsberg stole the game. As he has done mm-hmm. many times this season. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And we can't forget that like, his setup is just so good. But I got to say, did you did either of you guys see that picture of Brady Chuck in the full in his gear? I think it was on family. Yes, Day. yes. No. Yes. Oh, it was great. It was so awesome. That's just like that's something I could totally see Brady doing. Because I think it was like a family day where they brought all the kids, like the players brought their kids and whatever. And here's Brady in goal. He's just like, yeah, go for it. Oh, no, that is very funny. And what's interesting is this season, Anton Forsberg has really stepped up. And we're talking about like a 0.92 save percentage overall. Let's in less goals than you would expect. And his saving hit for the last two seasons has been fantastic. And since coming to Ottawa, he looks like a brand new player. He has. He, he really, really has. And it's been fantastic. But the goaltending itself has really righted the ship in Ottawa where you came into this season of more of a, okay, who's going to step up? Is Matt Murray going to be the guy? Is Gustafson going to be the guy? But Anton Forsberg, he's really changing my mindset when I see him play because it used to be, oh, God, we're playing Forsberg. Okay, how bad are we going to lose tonight? But the fact is, He's coming in, He's and he's coming up big from Ottawa, so you can't complain about it. Yeah, and it's next season very tough because Gustafsson is on a one-way contract. Yeah. Now, the last guy I want to talk about before we head off to the third and final game of the episode is Connor Brown. Two assists and two shots. And I guess it's games like this that you really, really come to appreciate what Connor Brown really brings to the Senators. Well, him and Nick Paul do Absolutely. it all. Especially for a guy who I thought, especially coming out of Toronto, I thought his ceiling was already established and he's just kind of broken through it in Ottawa with his 21 goal season last year, the pace he was playing at. He's been a guy who's been an absolutely solid contributor to this team. I think it's really nice to see. And I think he's just a player in general who is easy to like and whose style of play is especially easy to like. And it's a good mix overall. Well, here's an interesting question for you as an outsider. Would you trade Connor Brown at this deadline? At 28 years old, I think it is an interesting question to kind of be on the fence of like, is this guy a part of the team going forward or is he a guy who's expendable? And depending on what auto I can get from, I think that's what begs the question. Because if a guy like Connor Brown, it's kind of a wild card as to what his value actually could be, especially with all the different qualities he brings to the table. So if auto I can get maybe a second or even maybe a first if they're really lucky for it, I wouldn't be surprised that they got rid of him or that it would be a good move just to continue this rebuild going forward. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. Well, it's funny talking about Connor Brown because the one guy I instantly think of is if another former Toronto Maple Leaf turned Ottawa center is Clark MacArthur. He, t- he just kind of has a thing where in Toronto fans were very upset that he ended up walking and in Connor's case being traded to the senators. But it was one of these things where he comes to Ottawa and fans are like, okay, yeah, we kind of know who you are playing for the Leafs. And he comes in and just instantly becomes a fan favorite. We saw it in Connor Brown's first year where, and I remember watching him thinking, this guy's really good. Like, how, how did Toronto end up letting this guy leave? Especially well, when you remember yeah. the classic the classic between the legs pass and all the things that MacArthur became famous for here and Ottawa became notable for. And coming back from his injury, he was a guy basically his career started in Toronto, and that's where he kind of became more than just a middle six player. So to continue that in Ottawa, yeah, it made sense to see why the fans embraced him so quickly, especially with all the, with all the comebacks he had to make. Yeah, and I think for Connor Brown, he's probably one of the guys that I think he's a veteran you keep around. That's the hard thing with a young team is you want veterans to kind of guide them through. But you also want a veteran who doesn't suck ass. 
Yeah. So you want guys like <laughs> Connor Brown and Connor well, Brown becomes, and Nick Bolton and not Zaitsev. It becomes a really interesting thing. Like, who do you keep? Do you keep Nick Paul or do you keep Connor Brown? That's yeah, going to be a big question. Over Nick Paul. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've talked about this on the past, Scott, where, and I want to, as an outsider, I think it's a good question. Do you see, if Nick Paul hits free agency, do you see a team throwing four or five million dollars at him per season? Um, no, not particularly. I think he'd be more of a guy who could see maybe like a, like I was talking about Thomas Tatar going back to what I talked about with Tatar with the Canadians. When he entered free agency, I was also wondering like, what is this guy going to get? He's a guy who had a 61 points in 68 games just one season ago. And he ultimately got a two-year deal with New Jersey, just kind of a proven thing. And I think that Nick Paul could see a similar contract, maybe two years, one to 1.4 million, I would say for a guy like that, or a checking forward or something like that. So I think especially with the fact that there's just, you can get sort of middle bottom six guys in the AHL who bring a better story and bring similar qualities to the table. I think everyone talked about Scott Sabrin with the senators two seasons ago and sort of the energy brought to the team. So finding a guy like that, I don't think is necessarily the most expensive route or the most expensive thing in the world. So before we head off to the third game here, I can grab my dog and she's at the front door. So hold on a how many episodes are you going to have to come on here, Snuff? Come here. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Hello. Come here. There. <laughs> I know. Beautiful dog. Oh, I know. I have three dogs myself. Yeah, what kind of dogs? Uh, two cocker uh, No, sorry. I have a one cocker spaniel and a mix. Aw. Okay. Are you going to calm down while we do this episode? <laughs> no. Yeah. She sits. She sits. Okay, guys, so let's turn our attention to the third and final game of the episode, the Montreal Canadiens versus the Ottawa Senators. This is a two-to-one Canadiens victory. Canadiens go to score by Arturi Lekanlainen with two and Colin White with the lone Sens goal. Shot was 32-27 for Montreal. A somewhat ga- even game overall. Both teams got their chances throughout. However, Montreal were the only team to score on their chances to secure the W. So, Scott, I want to get you to kick this off. Now, as a Montreal Canadiens fan, first of all, how did you feel the Habs played in this game? I thought they played excellent, honestly, and it's just been a continuation of the excellent performances they've been putting in ever since that five-game winning streak started. I mean, with all the struggles the Canadians endured, we had talked about it a bit on Twitter about how it was going to be interesting to talk about this, the team this year, considering how before the, today's recording they were really, really struggling, and then in the, in the time span since then, they've completely turned things around. So I think there was just a continuation of the solid play they've had, and we'll be discussing him shortly, but Andrew Hammond has been excellent for the Canadians, and he was excellent again last night. Reliable, solid, and he brings a great veteran presence to this team, which I think counteracts Samuel Montembeau perfectly. So I think against an Ottawa team that's really young and has a lot of energy, especially Montreal just played their pace really well and played the game that they wanted to play. Well, and I want to quickly talk about Martin St. Louis, because I, when he was hired as the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, Tim and I were talking about – wow, is this really going to work? Because this guy had no coaching experience outside of maybe coaching a kid's peewee team. But one thing, and a good friend of the show, Jamie McLennan, was on here a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how teams get, a, the, as he called it, a new coach bump. Do you think that Martin St. Louis, as the head coach, is going to be sustainable going forward? I think every new NHL coach has that same uh, worry where they start uh, where the team starts playing really well early on and everyone thinks, oh, it's just an energy boost. It'll fall back down to earth eventually. And while I think that can be the case with St. Louis, I think it's just nice to see him 
continuing to go on this run and just see where he can take things for this season and then look at the future come next season once this season concludes. I think it's nice to say to give St. Louis the time to just see what he can do with this team over the rest of the season, whether he can turn things around. And then if he can, then, hey, maybe we'll give him a contract and keep him here going forward. Because right now, the energy he's brought into this team and the way he's managed to revitalize rookies like Cole Caulfield is really encouraging and it's really good to see. It is. But what's very weird about the Montreal Canadiens just looking at kind of the smooth expected goals versus regular goals is it's just been the smooth goals per game against is just cratered. Well, there's been a reduction in the expected, but not to the same degree. How much of this is just good goaltending, especially when we look at the Toronto game where Toronto prop Toronto got killed by their own goaltending. You guys beat Buffalo twice. That's Buffalo. How much of that is just, kind of who you played against and good goaltending. I think it definitely plays a factor into it, but I also think underestimating teams like that. I mean, Buffalo at the end of the day is a weaker team, but they still have pieces that can dominate and still have pieces that can be really talented players. I mean, you look at a guy like Tage Thompson or you look at a guy like Jeff Skinner or even Kyle Ocposo who have all rebounded this year. I don't think it's a situation where especially with the Canadians, they shouldn't take any team as a low opponent because of the season they had. And if they treat every team with high expectations, I think it's only going to make them want to play better and want to prove themselves even more. Now, whoever's phone went off, you guys owe everybody a beer. Not mine. I do. Okay. You owe everybody a beer, Jim. (laughs) Nice going. Now I do want to, one final comment before we actually get into talk about some of these notes here is talking about the Montreal Canadiens and their front office, because over the last couple of years, it's been very proven that the Habs have made very not questionable decisions. I think that have really set this team back, obviously with, you know, Ducharme didn't work out. You see that they kept around their GM, Mark Bergevin, for a while. But it seems like Montreal is really steering in the right direction when they actually bring in very experienced and very good hockey men. Like, you bring in Jeff Gorton. They brought in uh, – apologizing to the gentleman there, uh, ML, whoever it was. But you see even with some of the – like, obviously, bring in Martin St. Louis, very risky because he had no experience. Vincent LeCavalier has no experience. Like, I want to get your take – do you think with these moves that the Montreal Canadiens are, will finally be able to push themselves into the right direction? It's not, I mean, that's the hope at the end of the day, isn't it? Especially after the fact that we went to the Stanley Cup Finals last season and then everything just kind of collapsed. All the pieces we brought in to replace all the departures we had didn't work out. And I think just having this fresh start and having these guys who want to take this team in a different direction and have announced publicly that we want to take this team in a different direction, it's encouraging to see. And I think especially... With the way Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon have handled things thus far, I'm just really interested to see how they can take the team going forward because the early signs are really encouraging. Well, I don't know. As a, as a Habs fan, like, what do you make about this team policy that you need to be – Francophone's not the right word, but you need to be bilingual. Like, you need to speak both languages because you do – every all the other 31 NHL teams don't seem to do it, but Montreal – obviously because they're in – you know, French is a in second line in Quebec, but do you feel that that – policy has really been holding back the Montreal Canadiens in the past. I think so, definitely. And especially with the way Ken Hughes was welcomed, so to speak, by the French media was a bit, uh, it wasn't surprising to say the least, but it was just something that's like, you don't really want to see. And at the end of the day, I think it also ties into the fact that the reason why French is still considered such a big thing is that a lot of the media and especially fans still see the Canadians as more than just a hockey team. They still see them as that legendary team. They were all those years ago in the fifties and the seventies. And as much as I am a fan of this team, I think the sober in reality is that they're not that anymore. And they're just a hockey team at the end of the day. And they're 
we can you can root for them as much as any other hockey team. But if they're going to be getting better, and if you want to see a good hockey team in the future, you have to admit that you have to move on from the past and kind of look to a new future that maybe has more bilingual players and has more bilingual GMs. Because at the end of the day, this is Montreal, and this isn't all of Quebec. Well, it's true, especially when you see some of the coaching people who like some of the coaches who have got passed over most notably you see Luke Richardson who got passed over so many times by so many teams. And I feel that that policy of you need to be either francophone or you need to speak French is really holding the team back, but that's just me. That's me as an outsider. Right. So I want to get your take on that. So let's talk about this game and I want to talk about Colin White first game back scores a goal on four shots you have never guessed this guy missed almost a year of hockey with the way he played last night. Yeah, he was very energetic and actually played some of his best hockey against the, the Suzuki Caulfield Anderson line, uh, just not giving them an inch. And uh, hopefully he continues, continues playing like this for the rest of the season. Because this is definitely, we've said it before and we've said it again. This is the prove me year for Colin White and uh, game one looking pretty good. Well, one thing I really noticed is that it's funny because I was watching some of the stuff on Instagram with him in the pregame. And would any of you guess that guy was 25 with how much he has aged? I was surprised how little hair he had. Actually, one thing that's very funny is. Colin White almost had a second goal. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, this, when he hit the post, yeah. it's like, oh, that was gutting, man. Well, this is a game where there was only two players who really had a chance at the goal. Lekkonen with two, Colin White with one. <laughs> Very weird game to watch. It's true. I actually did want to make one mention. I have it in my notes here. I think it was when Brandon Gallagher, he got called for tripping, and they have the shot of him next to the glass and you see the lady in the front row going, oh, it's fucking bullshit. <laughs> oh God. That you you got to love whenever you go. But you got to love whenever you get those audibles, audibles in the middle of the game. And she's just, just like, brings the game to life. Bullshit. I know. And just, it was so <laughs> funny. I started laughing. I'm just like, oh, that's awesome. That's so good. Now, Connor Brown's another guy I want to talk about because he had an assist in three shots. And again, I, I really like how he played in this one. He made some really nice plays, but it's a shame Ottawa's offense was just so non-existent in this game because honestly they could have well, caught it a few. The Sens were definitely behind the eight ball with five defensemen. Yep. Eric Branstrom played Shabbat minutes again with Branstrom and Zoo playing 25 minutes, Holden and Josh Brown at 21 and Victor Mete playing the remaining 20. Yep. As a former have, I know Mete all too well. Yeah. So this was a game where the Senators just had weird shifts all game. Dylan Gambrell just getting back in from injury played eight minutes on the forward. We're playing 13 and five. Yeah. Plus it was a hard game. It was hard for players to kind of get in and just get settled. And you can definitely see the team misses Thomas Shabbat and they're obviously miss uh, Batherson Norris. So just missing those guys. It's a lot. It really is. It really is. But I do, but I think we should talk about Matt Murray here because honestly, 30 saves, 0.893 save percentage. The guy played fantastic in this game, man. And it's really, and like I said, it's a shame that Ottawa's offense was so non existent because 
it's sad when you see a goalie that plays this well and doesn't get the W in the end. Well, on the same vein, Andrew Hammond posted a .96. That's true. Like, both goalies played really well. He did. I find it especially with the way Matt Murray started this season, to see him turn things around like this and be able to put up this many solid performances back-to-back is really encouraging. and also think really well-deserved because Matt Murray's a goalie that if he does play well and he can be that goalie he was in Pittsburgh, Ottawa would really, really benefit from having a goalie like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, what's funny is I think, at least in Ottawa, good Matt Murray has been the rule, while shaky Matt Murray has been the ex- the exception because we saw him at the end of last season string 10 very solid games together. He's strung 15 good games in a row now, sorry, 10 good games in a row now. And if he plays out the end of this season and starts next season, well, I think it's safe to say that good Mac Murray is back. And that makes the trade, the trading a fourth rounder to get him look like a steal. It was a ballsy mm-hmm. trade by Dorian at the time. The contract was even ballsier. Fortune favors the bold. Now, I think we should close off this episode by talking about Andrew Hammond because he had 26 saves in this one. And obviously, I think somebody really should do, should look up the stats on Ottawa's record versus our old goaltenders because there just seems to be something about it, whether it be Robin Leonard or now with Andrew Hammond. Brian Elliott in particular. Brian Elliott had our number. And Matt Andrew Hammond was a guy who was definitely a fan favorite in Ottawa through the Hamburglar run. And it was shown as fans showed their respect by throwing hamburgers on the ice. Indeed. And I think another thing that's funny that a lot of people forget about Hammond is that he, they make the point that he flamed out. He never really flamed out. He just never had another opportunity at the end of the day. He wasn't horrible in his second season in Ottawa. They just moved on with better players who outperformed him. And whenever he got a call up to the NHL, he always played really well and always put up solid numbers. So the fact that he is playing well in Montreal, I just don't find it to be that surprising, honestly. I think this was just a guy who was more so waiting for another opportunity, more so yeah. than he was. Never, he never really played to a point where he was uh, shelved out of the NHL, if you will. Well, the hard thing with Hammond has always been his hips. They've never really given him an opportunity to play a lot of time in the NHL. And the fact that matters, two of the games that he played with Colorado were playoff games where he was at, and one of them, he was the hero. Mm-hmm. The absolute hero, yes. I remember yeah. watching him on TV. And I think that's the thing about Andrew Hammond is that the guy's hips just never, they were never the same after uh, he got surgery back in 2015, 2016. Yeah, but the thing is, Tim, when you get a, a serious, serious surgery like that with your hip, like, do you really ever fully come back from that? No, and what's incredible with Hammond is that he went from being very, very good to average. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, he was Hammond was never a bad goalie. No, he wasn't. But, it, but you know, and I think about the late Ray Emery when he had his hip problems – he and Ian Mendes talked about this on the on our show where he said he had the same kind of surgery like Bo Jackson had, and he came back and won a Stanley Cup. Yeah. In the role of a backup, but he was yeah. Ray Emery was a very capable backup. And like hip necrosis yeah, is fucking scary. It is one of the strongest seasons in, in recent NHL history from a backup 17 1 and 2 record. <laughs> yeah. So, guys, I don't have any more comments to make on this these games if you want to hang up from the close for another episode. Yeah, I'm good. So, Scott, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule today to join us for this episode. 
Now, before we head off into the close, first of all, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find your podcast, Puck and Roll, as well as A Winning Habit and Puck Pros? Well, you can find me on Twitter at 9SecondsOT. I post, I live tweet sometimes for the Canadians games and I post my writing and my work there. You can find our podcast, Puck and Roll Podcast at Puck underscore and roll underscore and underscore roll on Twitter. And you can also find us across any platform you listen to podcasts on. And you can find my work on both Winnie Habit and Puck Pros. I am in the listed sections of offers. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tez M91 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, W-I-T-E Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the R. Or you want to give some feedback on Scott Count's appearance today on our episode, choose an email, 30plusSenseCast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the games of the week, as it currently stands, we've got three road games. I like to call this the Snowbird Road Trip. Tuesday, we are going to be in Tampa Bay to play the Lightning. Thursday, we'll be playing the Florida Panthers in Sunrise. And Saturday, my 30th birthday in Arizona to play the Coyotes. You know what? Ottawa's games against the Florida teams have been, at the very least, very entertaining to watch this season. So I'm looking forward to this road trip. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys.